My guest on this episode of the Good Growth Podcast is the former Executive Vice President of Customer Experience and Product Strategy at The Economist, Anna Rawling. As we continue our theme of innovation this series, Anna speaks on how she led her teams through the ever-changing disruptive media industry through listening to the customer and using customer insight to make sound decisions. Listen on as Anna also talks of her passion for using her leadership roles to foster inclusivity and diversity in business. Anna, warm welcome to the Good Growth Podcast. How are you keeping? Hi, Dan. I'm good, thank you. Good, eh? Uh, Working from home in the north of England. Um, But yeah, otherwise good. Still working, so that's all all good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, great to have you on. Um, uh, Very much looking forward to talking about your sort of experience with uh, The Economist and what you do now, the business of fashion. Uh, and also your the, the kind of leadership roles you've held and what your kind of leadership style is as well. So looking forward to sort of getting to know a bit more about that. Um, but to start off then, I guess with your time at The Economist, you you spent over sort of 15 years there. You've you held a number of different roles, um, and particularly in your time as senior vice president around the customer retention aspect, and then uh, executive vice president around the customer experience. The, your industry was going through quite a lot of disruption. So then it was really crucial for The Economist to, to adapt and, and change and innovate in order to get through that period. So to you, what would you say innovation uh, means and how, how, would you, how would you define innovation? Yeah, I mean, I spent actually um, 22 years at The Economist, um, which whilst I wouldn't recommend that as a career strategy, um, <laughs> I can honestly say it was never ever dull. Um, so yeah, the media industry obviously a huge period of intense disruption, which I think actually be- began at the end of the 90s um, when we launched um, our first website at The Economist. Um, and I'd argue that we're still going through that 20 years later, but I think in the early days we thought of innovation um, as frantically trying to keep up with technology. Um, so I remember in the early 2000s, our CEO at the time, um, he gave a town hall in which he shared one slide containing a picture of a tsunami um, <laughs> to tell us what we were up against in terms of the digital revolution that was uh, we were at that point living through. Um, and I think back on the fear of being swept away, media companies uh, have focused too much on digital innovation for the sake of digital innovation. And I think the problem for uh, the media industry is that's resulted in hefty costs um, both in terms of technology and people that haven't necessarily been reflected in the value that they return for the business. Um, having been through that journey, I now like to think of innovation as a process of continual evolution that delivers value for both the customer and the business, um, and both ends of that equation being equally important, mm-hmm. um, which is especially true for media, I think. Yeah. That may be a big, um, shiny new idea, such as uh, news via virtual reality, which I doubt actually, but it could be that, mm-hmm. um, or something like taking a radical decision to use a templated web platform for your customer-facing website and, and innovate in that way, saving costs for the business that can then be deployed for something else. So I don't see it as you know one big idea. I think the critical thing with innovation is not actually finding new ideas, it's prioritizing the ideas with the potential to return the most customer and business value um, incubating those ideas without distracting from the core business and then critically effectively embedding them into the core business all of which is really about people and not so much about technology okay so very much a continual 
process really there's not a, in your opinion and I imagine many others as well it's not a it's not a finite uh, sort of process innovation is continue is essentially that you're continuing to adapt and, and change based on what the sort of the, the demands are of your customers and and the business absolutely um, I think it can be you know something as simple as what piece of marketing technology do we need to enable us to personalize content to customers um, and I think that needs to be thought of as innovation because on you know on the face of it it looks quite simple but in reality embedding that capability within a business um, and the processes around it and also the resources around it are actually quite difficult and I think sometimes that gets overlooked um, with innovation. So sort of moving on to how then your experience of how you, you innovate, use innovation to engage customers. Um, you had quite a big acquisition strategy piece uh, during when you were uh, sort of the senior vice president role around the customer retention. Um, and that goal was primarily to engage audiences, um, your readers, customers uh, that you already knew, which is quite an interesting approach because often the perception is you've always got to go after the new and you've got to attract new customers. Um, so how did you sort of decide upon this approach and why and why was the focus more on um engaging your existing customers that perhaps just weren't i guess what you'd call your your, your hot leads rather than you know those sort of more casual readers perhaps or or your warm leads if you want to define them like that yeah absolutely um i mean i think in marketing it's always easy to get carried away with um finding new audiences you know, the, the brand acquisition, it tends to be kind of like the more exciting, slightly more exciting stuff to work on. But really, the way I look at it is that you should kind of ladder up an acquisition of new audiences should be the uh, icing on the top of the cake. Um, because otherwise, you end up um, not being as cost efficient as you could be. So I think two persisting challenges for subscription led media companies are actually how to engage and convert what is a, often a fairly large universe of web visitors. Um, the thing that um, all media companies have is a wealth of content, and that is normally very good at attracting um, a fairly large universe of, of web visitors. Um, and I think really paying attention to engaging and converting those web visitors is, is critical. And to, it's difficult to do the two things in order because you need to be doing both at once, but to focus on that really ahead of acquisition activity. So at The Economist, we took the decision that actually engaging and converting web visitors and also retaining and winning back those readers were two challenges that could really be tackled in one. Mm -hmm. So we created an engagement and retention team. And the job of that team is to increase reader revenue from our digital audiences to at that time offset the decline in ad revenue and that began with focusing on engaging on a on an onboarding experience for both registered users and trialists so people who had paid us some money mm -hmm. but also people who had signed up for free and that was very successful um we found that nurturing people through those journeys was uh, a valuable thing to do um, and then once we'd done that, we moved on to, we spent a lot of time actually working with Go Growth on optimizing the registration and conversion funnels. Mm -hmm. um, we did lots of retargeting by social media. Um, and of course, um, everyone's favorite, paywall, paywall testing. Yeah, paywall testing is, 
it's always always good fun. Um, <laughs> Avoid it if you possibly can would be my advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you just touched on the sort of what you did with good growth, actually. That leads nicely on to, um, I guess, what, we'll, what I'll ask you about now is that so your sort of belief really is, as you already touched upon, is very much sort of voice, uh, promoting and championing the voice of the customer. Um, and that's formed a part of your own personal vision in terms of to drive growth for, for, for the economist quite nicely lines up with uh with what good growth looks to offer to their clients so then how, how did the partnership with good growth help you uh, towards achieving that vision and, and help the economist achieve that vision i think the big the biggest challenge in that customer experience role um was the number of stakeholders that i had to keep happy in that role um so I was working across editorial, circulation, marketing, client solutions, technology, and data, um, which inevitably involved managing conflicting priorities and also lots of different opinions. Mm. Um, so the work that we did with Good Growth really helped me put customer insight at the center of what we were doing in customer experience. Um, so to understand more about the customer's pain points, more of what they needed. Um, and that helped us define the priorities from a customer's perspective. And then test test out um, things around those priorities. Um, and the fact that we were testing then took a lot of the debate out of the process. So instead of um, debating, um, never-ending debates about things, you know, sometimes particularly relating to paywalls, actually, um, the argument would be, well, this is what the customer's telling us. Let's not debate it. Let's test it. And then we'll come back and see what the testing tells us. And that really um, enabled us to make better decisions a lot quicker. Mm. That sounds like a huge challenge. Having you've got a lot of senior fellows or senior people around you from different teams, yeah. and who, who themselves have got a lot of experience and probably success as well. And so, being able to just convince them to essentially put their opinions to one side and prioritize. Okay, this is what our customers are telling us. I, I guess that helps. What good growth could give you there helps sort of just give you that ammunition to say. Just, just sort of help you know park your opinion for a moment how about we give yeah. this a go absolutely i mean not just opinion but also conflicting and this is this is the challenge that the media industry has been going through right conflicting targets mm-hmm. and targets that we were often could be missing yeah um and so actually putting customer insight and data and testing at the heart of that was invaluable um, just to kind of get your thoughts more on the on the broader indus- digital media industry, then, um, mm. as you sort of touched upon, it, it is a disruptive industry. It's been a disruptive industry for a number of years, um, just just through different you know through different as technologies evolved and as customer behaviours evolved. Um, you could argue that all businesses are in a sort of challenge at the moment with um, with with the, with the global pandemic happening. But where do you see the industries? next challenge coming from or if they are in a current challenge how where do you think they can sort of work their way through how do you think they can work their way through this um i think current um coronavirus situation aside i think 
kind of going back to my original point about innovation, I think really the a big challenge that the media industry uh, needs to solve is how to harness and resource data and technology effectively without over-engineering the process. So I've seen some extremely complex technology stacks and data stacks, actually, for what is ultimately not a particularly complex product offering. Um, so it absolutely isn't rocket science, but I think in the digital revolution, a lot of the technology that we're using, um, the data that we're using, and the processes that we're using have been over-engineered. So I think there's an argument to uh, strip a lot of them back. Mm. Um, so we're not drowning in data. Um, and we've built marketing product capabilities that we have the resources to effectively leverage um, so that there's that cost element is is better managed um, and then i think the the next thing the industry will do is start to focus less on digital innovation for the sake of it but begin to focus on building um, what i would call intelligent databases of brand fans um, which can then be monetized through a suite of services relevant to those fans. Um, so that may be different types of content. It may be product development or increasingly, I think, third-party partnerships. Okay. Um, great to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Um, just to move on now to, I guess, so your, your current role. So you're head of growth marketing at the business of fashion. Um, but before I sort of go into your sort of leadership experience, can you just tell us a little bit about that role and, and the kind of things you're looking or the kind of things you're doing and looking to achieve in, in that role? Um, yes, I mean, ultimately grow revenue, um, particularly reader revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so the business of fashion are going through a process of scaling. It's a very exciting time. Um, I was very fortunate to end up there after I left The Economist with kind of no idea. <laughs> no idea of what I was doing or why I was doing it. I just thought it was, I just thought it was time to leave. I thought it was like now a now or never moment. So, um, so yeah, um, business of fashion. It, we we have a growth um, scale up strategy um, that I'm helping them deliver um, through the use of um, more intelligent marketing. And. So yeah, finally, my you describe yourself as an inclusive leader, and that strike immediately strikes me. Kind of, a, a lot of questions that have come to mind in terms of how do you, how do you look to what kind of culture do you like to foster as a leader? Sort of touching on on you more personally, what how do you like to, uh, I guess, engage your team and um, and and just and essentially yeah, bring out that culture of inclusivity. Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing to me having. When I started at The Economist back in the 90s, um, I hadn't been to Oxford or Cambridge. I didn't have a particularly good education. I kind of managed to um, somehow get a degree from a polytechnic. Mm -hmm. um, and I turned up at The Economist and found that I was the least, always the least educated person in the room. Um, you know, my writing's not very good. I never know where to put an apostrophe. So The Economist, that was quite, that was quite intimidating. Um, and I think the worst piece of advice I ever got uh, in my career was to create a work persona and leave myself at home. Um, and I think that's a dreadful way, you know, I think everyone needs to be their self at, at work. Um, unless, unless we're incredibly lucky, we spend a lot of time at work. 
people need to be themselves. Um, so I'm a, I'm a really big fan of the kind of Jacinda Ardern approach to leadership, which is being open, building trust, letting people fail, um, not whipping people for their targets um, every week or month. And ultimately, I think making sure that people are happy at work, because when people are happy, they will go the extra mile and they will do their do their best. Mm. Uh, and I suppose you want you want that personality to come out. You, you don't want a team of uh, sort of robots, sort of you know. Get... No, not really. Not textbook. Um, no, mm. I used to once upon a time joke that everyone was in permanent interview mode. <laughs> once upon a time at the Economist, and it was like you couldn't have a normal conversation with someone without feeling like they were all trying to prove themselves in an interview kind of uh, environment so that, that must yeah. be quite a, that must be quite a challenging uh thing i guess to, or character trait to get people to stop doing because it sounds like it's a, it'd be a habit for people so ha- it would did was there anything that you could do to help just sort of get them to sort of i guess relax a bit more and just encourage them to to bring that personality out yeah, so I think when I was a bit later in my career, when I was a bit braver about that, I think I used to go to the opposite extreme. <laughs> well, I'd walk into meetings and say something really stupid or, you know, just be foolish and just to try and kind of swing the pendulum in the, in the opposite direction. Mm. Um, quite often when I, had ch- when I first had children and it wasn't really okay to talk about your children at work, um, and you, you know, you're supposed to tiptoe away at five thirty and pretend that you weren't going, you, you know, weren't rushing to pick them up. Um, I just got into a habit of standing up in the middle of a meeting if it was running over and saying, "Sorry, I've got to go and get my kids." Um, and I think setting that example enabled other people to kind of do the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, in more more broadly, then, what would you like to see more of from businesses um, to help encourage that inclusivity um, within within their environment? Which, um, I think there are two things there really, there's diversity and then there's inclusivity and I think inclusivity, I think the way that we manage teams is changing and I think it's changing for the better mm-hmm. um, and I think more women in the workplace are helping that actually. Um, so I think we are getting better at that. Um, if anyone is still hammering their teams to hit targets every week, I would advocate for them to stop doing that um, because we shouldn't be creating a stressful environment at work. Um, and then I think on the diversity, I think I'm more concerned about the diversity issue at work. And I think there's absolutely no excuse um, anymore for teams to not reflect the makeup of um, their local community. Although that's a slightly odd concept at the moment because we're all working from home. But I think, you know, if you're a business in London, then the makeup of your team should reflect London. Um, And there's no excuse for that. And it's not a particularly popular view, but I do think that people need to recruit for that outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than hoping it will happen over time, I think businesses should be taking a bold stance. And they will upset some people by doing that, but I think they should be recruiting um, in a way that ensures that they reflect the community that they they're based in. Yeah, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this as well, actually, because one of our previous podcasts was with um, Margaret Madonna, who's uh, one of the co-founders of the Pipeline, who very oh, yeah. much promotes. Yeah, so she promotes yeah. Uh, diversity in the workplace and things like that. And she was saying, it, not not just. I mean, to your point around 
you know your your workplace should reflect your community in terms of who you employ and, and the diversity that represents but also just highlighting that it actually benefits the business having that diversity of culture gender um it it brings different ideas to the table rather than i guess a sort of if you, if you go for your more traditional male dominated environment for example um it you, each gender each each culture brings a different set of eyes and opinion and background to what it is you're looking to achieve would you go along with that absolutely um and it you know if nothing else it's more interesting um but certainly it does and it it just helps everything evolve that bit quicker i think so my husband's dominique and my children are mixed race so we we have you know two cultures within our own family um and absolutely because we live and breathe that every day we have a different you know our understanding of what um kind of living as a a diverse family in the world means is just moved on that much quicker and i think it's exactly the same for teams um so i think having teams that can bring perspectives different perspectives to the team Mm -hmm is better for the team themselves it's more interesting i think it helps make better business decisions and also um helps you serve your customers better uh anna thank you very much for your time um it's been really interesting chatting to you and uh, thank you very much for your time thank you dan it's been really good to talk thank you thank you